0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George.
1: Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Ron Etheridge. Welcome, Ron, to the Beeson Podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. Now, let me tell folks just a thumbnail biographical sketch about you. Uh, You are a graduate of Sanford University and of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and of Beeson Divinity School. Right. Uh, You earned a Doctor of Ministry degree here with us. Uh, Since 1984, you've been married to Pam. You have three adult children, Amy, Trey, and Britton. Uh, You have been a pastor of churches in Mississippi and Alabama since 1989. Right. So why am I talking to you? I'm talking to you because I'm fascinated by your story, which is the subject of a new book you have just published entitled Dancing in the Dungeon. Suffering Joyfully for God's Glory, a book I want to recommend to all of our listeners. You will be blessed and challenged by this new book by Dr. Ron Etheridge. But, Ron, let's begin by talking about yourself and your early background, some of the challenges you faced, and then we'll get around to this book you've written.
0: I was born as the only child to Ron and Faye Etheridge. And um, as I say in my book, we are all dysfunctional and born into dysfunctional families. Mm. My dad was a pastor, but he was not saved. He was not a Christian. He got out of the ministry for a while, and as I was growing up, there were quite a number of things that had God not sovereignly and providentially protected me from my dad, uh, I probably would have ended up living a wanton lifestyle. Mm. Uh, my dad loved me. But he just had some massive character flaws that, uh, he was not able to overcome. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he pastored three churches. Uh, eventually he and my mom separated and divorced. And let me fast forward to just a few days, a few months before he died. Uh, he had had a, a subdural hematoma and I went to see him in the hospital. And this pastor was there. And his pastor uh, made a comment. He said, well, Ron, you look a lot better since I baptized you. And that pretty well shocked me because I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, you got baptized? He said, yes, I did. And I asked the pastor, I said, what happened? He said, well, after his mother died, he called me and he said uh, that if anybody was going to heaven, he knew his mom would, but that if he died that day, he would not and he wanted to come to Christ and to be baptized that was 6 weeks before he died and then I, he hopefully came to Christ and is waiting you know up in heaven now but the dysfunction that took place in my home life was very difficult i don't have time to go into it here but i struggled a lot watching my dad write sermons on on saturday night while getting drunk and listening to him preach on Sunday and watching him as he lived out his life throughout the week, and except by the grace of God, I would have abandoned the Christian faith. but anyway, God took care of me, He brought me through that, and um, through a lot of other issues in my life growing up, I, I had a physiological disorder that caused me to be shunned and um, and made fun of by my peers. Uh, there were many other funk things that happened along in my life that that really were difficult struggles. But then, you know, I, I made the statement, I will never be a pastor because I had observed my dad as an unbeliever in the pastorate. And I kind of think God nudged an angel up in heaven and said, watch this, because <laughs> he called me into ministry. Going into ministry, I had the Pollyannish view. You go to seminary, it's all great and wonderful. Everybody's a great Christian, and there are many Christians, wonderful people there, wonderful environment. But then I got into the local church. I want to say up front that there have been so many people in churches that are absolute wonderful blessings. But at the same time, there are many who are not sheep. The first three churches that I pastored fired the pastor prior to me which means I entered dysfunctional situations. One of those fired five of seven pastors prior to me. One church I served as an interim in the space of 18 months, either forced to resign or terminated the uh, youth minister, pastor, and uh, education minister another church i served i could
1: just go on and on with that step back for a moment and look at this as a broad sociological problem okay that is the termination of ministers Oh gosh the fact that you know this is a serious crisis in a lot of congregations and denominations yes say a word about that
0: every month in the united states sixteen hundred ministers are terminated and that's across all denominations Another 1,500 a month are terminated just within the Southern Baptist Convention. These are statistics that I've come across. Uh, In talking with one of our Southern Baptist Seminary professors, he told me that uh, most new seminarians going to school have seen the problem in the traditional church setting and are choosing not to enter the pastorate. They would rather go plant churches or go into missions or serve on a church staff. Along that same line, I was talking to another seminary professor, and he told me that uh, five years after graduating, half of those who received degrees had gotten out of the ministry. And so it's endemic. There is not a pastor I have talked to that has not been deeply wounded in that context.
1: I know you have a burden for pastors like this and have become a ministry, in fact, and we're going to talk about that, redemption ministry, that's focused on uh, being there as a friend and resource to pastors like that but say a little bit more now about your own experience in the churches you mentioned the fact that you've come into some churches that have their own church dysfunctionality yes you you spoke about the dysfunctionality in your family and the the dysfunctionality that affects all of us in life in one degree or another but churches can be very unhealthy can't they
0: oh oh yes um you know, I, I, th- I think churches are like people in that they have a personality and they have a lifespan. In other words, every church is the product of their own experiences and dynamics throughout the course of its life, and if a church has dysfunctional relationships between the minister's or between the ministers and the church, and they are not resolved in a manner in keeping with the Scripture, then it just perpetuates itself, which is why you find a church like the ones I've served, where they they have fired five ministers out of seven over 40 years, or when they let go of three ministers within the space of 18 months. And it's because they get into a personality that they don't know how to break out of, for me, in the, and, and here's the thing about it, uh, because of the first three churches I served fired the pastor prior to me, I made a philosophical decision. And that was as if I ever got into a situation in a church that was moving towards that ugly business meeting that we've all heard about. And rather than there be a church fight that is public, that results in a split, which two of the churches I served experienced, that rather than do be a part of that and give the faith a bad name, give Christ a bad name, and the church a bad name in the community, I would choose to walk away. You know, Paul says, isn't it better to be defrauded? And so I made that philosophical decision, never thinking I'd have to do it. Well, I had to do it twice.
1: Now, in your book, you talk about some of the horrible things, the slanderous things that were said about you and your family. One man, I think, said he'd rather see you dead than stay as the pastor of that church. He would see me either dead or run off. Yeah, that sort of comment uh, that no one should have to hear, especially from a deacon. I think he was a deacon in one of your churches. But now, uh, looking back on these experiences... Did you do anything wrong?
0: Well, you know, I would be the first to admit that, you know, I haven't been a perfect minister. Okay. You know, I've made mistakes, whether by youthful uh, exuberance, you know, ignorance, whatever. But when you get to the level of trying to run a minister off, you know, I do not think that I did anything that rose to that level in my Perspective, for a ministerial termination to take place, it has to fall into a very narrow corridor. In other words, heresy. He doesn't need to be in the pulpit if he's preaching heresy. If he has been immoral, he doesn't need to be in the pulpit. If he has broken laws egregiously like stealing, theft, you know, that kind of thing. But the, Paul writes that the minister should be worthy of double honor. So if there are those kind of accusations that come up in a church, I believe that the, the default approach of the church leadership should be to assume that the minister is innocent and that it takes two or three witnesses, and not only witnesses, but to prove what they say about the minister that makes it worthy of a termination. The other thing I want to say there, and this is very important to me, in the situations I've been in, where there was such a groundswell at times against me as a minister, I felt very much cut off from the whole situation. In America, a person is innocent until proven guilty, then they have the right to face their accusers. and. They have a right to have someone to defend them. In my opinion, the minister ought to at least be given that option and that help, especially if he is to be counted worthy of double honor. But in my experience, that's never happened.
1: Now, we should say that although there were these uh, very difficult and oppositional Forces that you encountered. Uh, there were also many people who supported oh, you, gosh, stood yeah. by you, who oh, believed yeah. in you, oh, yes. all the way through. And yes. you know that's all also something to give thanks for. That, yes, that you had friends who who really uh, accepted your integrity and and stood by you. Now let me ask you this question: This you call it a philosophical decision that you've made, right? That I, I'm not going to push this to a floor fight. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll just walk away. Before you know we shed that kind of blood, metaphorically speaking uh, in the house of God, right did you ever regret making that decision? Oh I have
0: to be I have to be so honest with you that the first time i I beat myself up for weeks, I spent two weeks in bed, almost literally looking at the ceiling, saying, "God, if I made a mistake." And then God provided. He gave me an interim pastorate. He took care of me, provided in many ways. Well, the second time I did it, (laughs) I I, I wondered, have I made a mistake? And I, I have to go back to this. I believe very strongly in the providence and the sovereignty of God. And I made those decisions as a result of a lot of prayer and reflection. Because for me, if someone is going to get a black eye, I don't want it to be the bride of Christ. And if someone is going to get punched in the stomach, I don't want it to be the reputation of my Savior. Mm. And so, you know, I look back now, and the way God worked certain things as a result, my wife and I have said joyfully that if that is what it took— for us to have what we have now, be where we are now, and believe what we believe we would do it again, but yes, it has been
1: difficult uh, we've been talking about this uh in the context of so you're a Baptist minister, and uh, the churches you serve are all Baptist congregations. There are other denominations with different polities uh you know Methodists have bishops, Presbyterians have elders and presbyteries, and Lutherans have a different way of doing it so um is there something flawed about, let's call it, congregationalist church polity that Baptists and many other denominations have that lends itself to this kind of perpetual conflict without an easy recourse to resolution? You want me to be honest? Well, if, if, <laughs> if you're on the Beeson podcast, Dr. Etheridge, it's not a place for dishonesty. <laughs> Well,
0: here's, here's my assessment of that. Uh, the polity in Baptist life, I think, has a strong biblical foundation and base. I'm not sure that it's the polity issue that we need to be addressing as much as the doctrinal and theological side of it. For instance, in one church I was in, I I, I went to the deacon body. And, and the deacon body, uh, I told him, I said, gentlemen, it's obvious that there are problems going on. The question is not how we got here so much as it is, will we honor God in how we address this issue? Hmm. Will we have the the desire for reconciliation, restoration, and forgiveness? Because if we don't have that, then we have compromised the gospel to the congregation and the community. So for me, it's not a polity issue. For me, it's more of an embracing of the theology of the New Testament.
1: It's a spirituality issue. Yes, sir. At at its deepest level. Yes, sir. I think you're right about that. Though it does seem to me that there's an awful lot more of this perhaps Among some Baptist and Congregationalist polities. You know,
0: I have wondered if part of the reason for that is because of the influx of our culture into the church. Mm -hmm. You you, you watch CNN, you watch uh, CNBC, you watch Fox, and there's all this criticism, debate, and arguing that goes on all the time. You talk radio. And I have, it seems that that has made its way into the church. And there's not the respect and the mutual love and the forgiveness Mm -hmm. and those things.
1: Let me ask you another question. Uh, as a pastor, and in the midst of these conflicts, as they were brewing and developing, and before you actually had walked away from these two congregations, did you uh, preach about this in the pulpit or did you think about using the pulpit as a vehicle to express your own opinion or view or to set forth your own case? And if not, why not?
0: It was interesting, in the in the, the last church I served, I started a series in 2 Corinthians. And, and I started it before all these things started popping up. Well, what amazed me is how as you go through 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending himself from, from the accusations of the Corinthian church. And and I struggled over that because I picked Second Corinthians not expecting to be in the midst of what I was in at the time. And I found myself having to decide, do I preach what God gave me <laughs> or do I skirt the issue and go around it? I chose to preach it as faithfully as faithfully as I could in the text. Now let me give you the second answer to that question. I made a conscious decision very conscious, never to get in the pulpit and to lob grenades or to make accusations to
1: defend myself or anything else, because the pulpit is not the place to do that. I sure admire that, and I think that's good counsel or a good model for many others who may be tempted to do so in a moment of Conflict in particular, and it's hard. Yeah. Now, let let me ask you about your family. We've we, we've mentioned your wife, Pam, and your three children, Amy and Trey, and Britton. And you know, you can't be a pastor and married with a family living out the Christian life in the midst of a congregation that's uh, basically trying to fire your husband and your daddy without being caught up in that. Say a little bit about the, the family dynamics sure. that went on.
0: I affectionately call my wife Nathan <laughs> because you remember Nathan went to David and put his finger in his face and said, You are the man. Well, there was one time when, when I was bemoaning. I mean, I was, I was whining, I was griping, I was complaining. And, and my wife lovingly nodded, listened to me. And then she looked at me and said one of the most profound statements. She said, Ron, if we believe what we say we believe, how can we be mad at the people that God is using to conform us to Christ? And I said, well, there you go. <laughs> you know. And she helped me through that. She, God called her to be a minister's wife. Uh, as we were going through all these things in each of the situations, I would talk with Amy and Trey in Britain. And I would tell them that we are going to trust God. I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. But God has, and I use the scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I went through all the different texts. Then after the events would would finish up and we would, would find God working for our good, I would remind them. I say, now, do you remember, for instance, my daughter met her husband as a direct result of us leaving a church in East Alabama. And if we had not left there, she would not be married to the person that she is married to today joyfully. And so we have talked about Amy. Do you see the good God brought in that? And she says yes.
1: Now I know another as uh, a friend of mine uh, who also went through a very difficult. He was attacked unfairly, and and his children he had two children turned against the Christian faith, and th- they were really burned by that experience. And yeah. I'm not saying they completely gave up on God, but they just the church just left a sour taste in their mouth.
0: Has that happened in your family? Um, by God's grace, no. My my two boys are uh, both going into the ministry. Uh, one of my sons wants to be a youth pastor and then pastor of church. My other son wants to be an international missionary. And uh, my comment to him is, is, at least you're not going into it blind. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, but again... I. Dr. George, I don't think that's anything that my wife and I necessarily did, but it's the grace of God.
1: Now, I want to move our conversation, because we're almost out of time, but to, to think a little bit about your role now as a person who stands alongside and offers encouragement and help to others who may be caught in difficult circumstances, pastors and others in church leadership, uh, who find themselves in, in a very tight spot. Tell us about redemption ministry, what you're trying to do with that and uh, how we can pray for you in that work. Uh, The way that you can be praying for me
0: is for God to make the connections, because I want to help the ministers who are struggling. My experience has been is that you almost become tainted when you're struggling, when you're hurting. You also don't want people to think you're a failure. Well, I want to get alongside these guys and to tell them I've been there I know what it's like. It hurts. It's tough. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. If God's called you, there are ways that you can persevere. You have the God of all comfort. So that's the way I pray is for God to get me in connection with these. And I don't care what denomination they are. I don't care if it's a man. If they're in ministry, I want to help them. Okay. So that's what I do is I try to find these men and women in ministry, wherever they may be, and to, to be... Okay, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, to comfort others with the comfort by which you have been comforted by God. There are very few things that any minister can go through or has gone through that I haven't experienced. And when when I was struggling... I wanted to hear from somebody who had walked my path because those were the ones that had credibility for me. So I would want these people to know these brothers and sisters in ministry. I've been there and because of that, I can identify with you and help you.
1: Now, out of this experience, uh, you have written a book, Dancing in the Dungeon. Suffering Joyfully for God's Glory. First of all, tell us about that title.
0: You know, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He has said that he wants us to have his joy in us. And either Jesus was blowing smoke or he was telling the truth. Well, I think he's telling the truth. Well, then you get to the book of Acts and you see Paul and Silas who were beaten for preaching the gospel, for serving Christ. And they were thrown into a dungeon with their feet put in stocks, and at about midnight, they were praying and singing to God. Metaphorically, if they if their feet weren't in stocks, they would have been dancing in that dungeon. So you think of what James said, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I would like to contend that the norm for the Christian minister or not, is to be able to suffer joyfully and to do so in a manner that glorifies God. Because when you look around in this world, and there's a lot of suffering going on, most people are not, Christians are not suffering in a manner that draws people to Christ. You know, uh, what is it in Hebrews, it's written that that some of them uh, joyfully Suffered the plundering of their property. They did it joyfully, and so I'm. And you know, I'm about to get all wound up here and start preaching if I'm not careful. But but what you have is a is a theology, and you have a dynamic within the New Testament that because of Christ, that our hope and our joy is not tied to the things of this life. And that where our hope and our joy is tied to is in heaven. Paul even tells us in Colossians 3, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. And so I have taken from that that to be of any earthly good, we've got to be heavenly minded. Now that's the exact opposite of what a lot of people have taught. But he says, Set your thing, set your mind not on things of this earth, but above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if I look forward to the rewards that are happening as a result of suffering joyfully, it's going to transform the way I experience and
1: process life now. You know, you have that wonderful... admonition in hebrews looking unto jesus the author and finisher yes. of our faith who for the joy right. that it was set before him right. endured the cross despising the shame yes and so uh, we look to him the pioneer of our faith yes uh yes. as one to give us encouragement and all this now tell us how one can get this book dancing in the dungeon uh it's available
0: on amazon.com plus Uh, They can go to my website, which is
1: redemptionministry.org, and they can order it from there. Thank you so much, Ron, for writing this book and for sharing your heart, uh, walking through the fires, but uh, with your eyes on Jesus Christ. And may God bless you and make you a blessing to others. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George.